Thank you, worship team. What a blessing it is to worship with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis. Appreciate uh, the comments that uh, a number of you are giving uh, before and after the services. Uh, this has been a, a great study for me. Never preached through this particular book, and um, after 20-so years, maybe almost 30 years being in ministry, I'm ashamed that I've uh, I've never preached through the book of Genesis, but I've learned so much, and I trust that the Lord will minister to our hearts and meet with us this morning. Um, we're going to do our scripture reading. That's in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read, start with verse 25, just uh, the end of verse 25, and then we're going to launch back into our text today, verses 7 through 24. We looked over verses 1 through 7 last week, but uh, we want to uh, look at the scripture this morning and trust that the Lord will... Open our hearts and our eyes, and uh, let's read together Genesis 2, starting with verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Verse 18, Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. So I do trust that the Lord will open our hearts and open our eyes as we look at this particular portion of Scripture this morning. My sermon this morning is entitled, Sin is Bad, God is Good. 
that happens to be my two points as well. Sin is bad and God is good. We will see that in our particular text this morning. What we find out here in Genesis chapter 3 verses 7 and following is really the consequence of man's sin from the sermon that we saw last week, that man did his own thing, wanted to act as if he was God, partook of the tree when God said not to partake of the tree, and we have these consequences that are before us. Once again, we may ask ourselves this question, why did they do what they did? And why do we do what we do even today when we are tempted and we go along and we sin against God? And I would simply say that it's a choice. It's a choice before us. There might be mitigating circumstances or influences in our life, but we choose to sin when we are tempted. We choose to go our own way and do our own thing. No one forces us to do this. This past Monday night, um, my wife and I went to Target, and I wanted to go there for one particular reason. Um, I have bitten my fingernails for years, and sometimes I don't bite my fingernails, and sometimes I do, but I went and I got this stuff here to put on your fingernails. And when you put this stuff on your fingernails, and you even get that near your mouth, it is the most disgusting taste that you could ever imagine. A number of times this week, I, I came close, and, and on Tuesday was one of our staff meetings, and I did that, and I just kind of did this here, and I was like, oh, what does that taste? And folks, the sermon today is to help remind us that sin is bad. And if we just would remember that even before, we would say, it's disgusting. I don't want to come near it. It, it tastes awful, and the consequences of sin is going to be absolutely terrible. So two points this morning. Sin is bad. God is good. Bad news first. Good news second. A couple weeks ago, you said, that's the way you like it, so that's the way I'm doing it this morning. It just happens to fit in the text. Bad news, good news. Praise the Lord, we get to the good news. I will say this. As we look at the bad news can we just realize that what we're going to see here would be overwhelming and depressing and terrible if we didn't know that God got involved? So it is bad. It's not good. But the hope is that God did get, he did get involved with us. So let's look at a number of things about sin and how sin is bad. First of all, we'll go back to verse number 7. And the Bible says that the eyes of both of them were opened. We see here that sin causes us to be alienated from God, that in a, in a time before that they walked with God and they fellowshiped with God, but here that they partook and they disobeyed God, the Bible says that their eyes were open, and the devil said, oh, your eyes are going to be open, and you're going to be like God. Well, yes, it was a way that God had not intended them to be, and it was a wrong path for them to go on, and it alienated them from God. And folks, sin always alienates us from God, always separates us from God. And it might be in fellowship when we sin and we confess our sins and then we're rightly restored. But if it's that you're alienated from God for eternity, then that's called hell. That's what the Bible teaches. Sin alienates us from God. The second cause of sin this morning, look at verse number seven. 
is sin also causes shame. Not only their eyes were open, but the Bible says that they knew that they were naked. That in some way something happened because of their sin, and something changed, and they knew that they were standing before God, that, that something was different. One particular commentator, an old-time guy, Barnhouse, he says it's more probable that they were clothed in light before the fall, and when they sinned, the light went out. In some way, they knew that things were different when they did what they did. It was, it was in a way that it brought shame to them. The third thing we see at the end of verse number 7, that sin also causes us to want to cover ourselves. The Bible says that they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves uh, loincloths. See, this is man's first attempt to try to cover themselves to be acceptable to God. And that doesn't work. We see that time and time in Scripture, how we want to cover ourselves to make us more acceptable to God. Isaiah says it this way, and it's on the screen here. Isaiah 64, 6, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. And we need to realize this morning that we are not accepted to the Lord because of our own clothing. We're accepted because of His clothing. That religion will not save you. Being baptized will not save you. Becoming a member of a church will not save you. Giving funds will not save you. Only the precious blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that will cleanse us from all sin. The fourth thing we see here that sin causes fear verses 8 through 10 it says and they heard the sound of of the lord god they didn't hear his voice they heard the sound of him of god walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the lord god among the trees of the garden i'm like how does it how did that go trying to hide from god in verse 10 he said i heard the sound of you in the garden and i was afraid because i was naked and i hid myself see Sin causes us to fear the God that loves us and cares for us. Before there was perfect fellowship and harmony in a relationship like we don't have even today, but there was something between Adam and Eve and their relationship, and here, because of sin, it, it caused fear and that they're afraid of the one who loved them and cared for them and who made them and designed them. And folks, that's what sin will do. Sin will mess you up and have give us a distorted view of our God. The fifth thing we see here in verses 12 through 13 is sin causes us to play the blame game. It didn't last long before when, when Adam was confronted. In verse 12 it said, The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. Adam is confronted by God, and, and the first thing he says, well, listen, you remember the woman that you gave me, almost in the sense of almost implying that God was the one who made this happen, and then not only blaming God, but then blaming his wife. Verse 13, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, It's not my fault. That's in the Hebrew there. Not my fault, not really, but said, the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Almost to the point that she's a victim. It's not my fault, it's the serpent's fault. 
And it's interesting that Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. I read this week for the first time this saying, maybe you've heard it. God blamed Adam. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. And the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. You know, in life, we do a lot of blaming. There's someone who's a member of our church, and when I met with them about just hearing their testimony, and he said, you know, it wasn't until I owned up my own sin that God got a hold of my heart and, and really did business with the Lord. This morning, if you get angry, you're not getting angry because it's your spouse's fault or your child's fault. It's because there's anger in your heart. If you lust, it's not because of what someone wears or doesn't wear. It's because there's lust in your heart. When there's pride in your life, it's not because of someone else. It's because of pride is in your own heart. It's when you are mean and unkind, it's not because of someone else. It's because you're an unkind person and the Spirit of God is not working in you. When you gossip, it's because you have a tongue that wants to talk and wag, and it's not under control, as the Bible says in James. It's, it's not someone else's fault, and that's what's going on here in this particular passage of Scripture. How many of you know the song, Standing in the Need of Prayer? Raise your hand. Wow, about the same number as the first hour, about half. There's an old song, and it's called Standing in the Need of Prayer, and it has a number of choruses, but... The first one says, it's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And each time it ends with, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Another stanza says, it's not the preacher, it's not the sister, or it's not the preacher and not the deacon, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my fa father, it's not my mother, it's not my stranger, it's not my neighbor. But it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And when we live our life and we're tempted to blame someone else, no, it's not their fault. It's, it's us and our heart. And those circumstances just reveal the problem. You get a, a, a bag of tea and you get hot water, and you, and you put that bag of tea in that hot water, what's going to happen? What's inside of that tea bag is going to come out. And there are times in our life that whatever circumstances that we're put in, whatever is in our heart will come out. And Adam and Eve wanted to blame one another. Their relationship becomes fractured. Their view really becomes distorted. And they're messed up because of sin. But the last consequence that we see because of sin is really the, the one that is the most dreaded. Folks, sin causes us to die. That's what the Bible teaches. Look in verse number 19 of our text. At, at the end of verse number 19, the Lord says that you will return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Adam lived... I think it's 905 years. He lived a long time. So he did not die physically immediately. But the Bible teaches us that the reason why we die is because of sin. 
there's two deaths in the Bible. Number one is the physical death that we understand even this week with Kim Wessels. That there will be a time that we will take our last breath and we will be gone and we will return to dust as the scriptures actually say. But in our particular text, it's not only the physical death that's mentioned, it's also even the spiritual death. And I want you to see that. Back in chapter 2 and verse 16, when the Lord God gave Adam a command, he said, you, you may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Catch this phrase. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So when they partook on that dreaded day, they did not physically die that day, but this is something beyond the physical death. And that's what's called a spiritual death. That we will die physically, and for those who do not know Christ as their Savior, they will die spiritually. Romans chapter 6 is on the verse uh, on the screen here. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. I want you to look at the verse. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me give you an illustration to make sure that we understand this verse because it's important. Um, the word wages is kind of like an old English term, but let's, let me give you an illustration. Let's say that you uh, were off uh, work for a week and and I knew that, and I was like, hey, listen, I need some work done, and I'll pay you $20 an hour. Some of you would say, that's a lot. Some of you would say, that's not enough. $20 an hour, you work 40, 40 hours a week. Five days, eight hours a day, you come on time, you leave on time, you do everything that you're supposed to do, and at the end of the day on Friday, you come to me and say, hey, listen, I've done everything you've asked me to do. Um, can I get paid? Can I get my wages? And I said, man, you did a great job. I appreciate it. You showed up on time. You worked. You did everything I told you to do. But guess what? I'm sorry. I'm not going to be able to pay you this week. I'm not going to be able to pay you at all. Would you be upset? Now, for those who are honest, you're shaking your head yes. For those who are really spiritual, you're like, no, I'll just trust God. <laughs> well, then let me know, and I'll put you to work, all right? No, I'm teasing <laughs> The point is, is that you did the work and you should receive the wages. You should receive the payment. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. Because we sin, we will die. But look at the verse again. It's not just talking about a physical death because whatever the wages of sin is death is also going to be equal to what's contrasted in the latter part of the verse. But the free gift of God is eternal life. So whatever the wages of sin is death is, is contrasted to the free gift of God, which is eternal life. We would say that the free gift of God, which is eternal life, is heaven. The wages of sin is death. That would be hell. I do want you to note before we go to another verse here that it's the free gift of God. And a lot of people can't accept this verse, that they want to work for it. They want to be good enough. They want to think that, man, I deserve this. No, God says, I've got a gift for you. It's eternal life. Once you receive it, it's through my son, Jesus Christ. But they think that they need to work for it or earn it or deserve it or whatever. God says, no, I got a gift. Just take it, receive, receive my, my son, and you have eternal life. Another verse that helps us understand about the consequence of sin is Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15. 
Then death and Hades, or death and hell, were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So there is the first death, which is a physical death. There is a spiritual death. And folks, when Adam and Eve sinned, sin came into the world, and you will die physically. And if you're not born again, you will die spiritually. And spiritual death is eternal separation from God in hell forever. That's bad news. I trust that these things will help us to remember that this is not God's plan. Um, yesterday, I filled my wife's car up with gas. We had fun after, afterwards because I was teasing her about, are you going to fill up with gas? And I thought she had been driving it, but I had been driving it. She, she pointed out that I had been driving because I was giving her a hard time. Like, it's empty. But as I was at the gas pump, it reminded me of a story when my mother-in-law, who was from Memphis, she came up to Chicago to visit us a number of years ago. And it was right around the time when um, the pay at the pump came out, okay? Do you remember that there was a time when you had to go inside and pay for your gas? And you couldn't just pay at the pump. And that was that time when she was there visiting. So I pull up, and she had never seen this before. I pull up, and Dino's with me. You can, she vouches for this story. And I pull up, and I put my credit card in, and I start filling up the gas tank in our car. And I get it in the car, and I'm talking to everybody and everything else. And I get out, and I go, and I take the gas and I put it back away, and I get in the car, and I'm getting ready to take off and leave. And she said, aren't you going to pay for the gas? And I said, you know, this gas station is different. <laughs> I said, the way that this gas station works is I said, if you get out of their parking lot without someone inside touching your car, the, the gas is free. I said, but if they come out and they touch your car, then you have to pay twice as much. That was at Schomburg Road in Springensgoose, by the way, that gas station. We're getting ready to leave, and someone comes, starts coming out the front door. She's like, they're coming, they're coming, you know? <laughs> now, that was a good reminder when I was trying to pay at the pump yesterday. My desire is that when we are tempted with sin, that we'll remember all the bad things that sin brings. And sometimes we forget, we are lured away because of our own lust but God is good that's the second part here that we'll see and as God works in my heart I'm thankful for his Holy Spirit that convicts me of my sin that I can be in right relationship with him I'm thankful for the godly friends that admonish and speak truth into me that that God uses to help me during times of temptation I'm thankful for God's word that helps guide me through temptation. Psalm 119, 119 verses 9 through 11. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against thee. And God has given us hope and given us ways that will help us in the times of our temptation. God is good that he is holy that he can't just brush over our sin or dismiss our sin. He must deal with our sin. Genesis 18, 25, shall not the God of all the earth do right? God will do what's right. Sin must be judged. But he's got a plan for that. And we see that here in our text. First of all, we see that God is good 
that he confronts us to our sin. Look in verses 8 again and following. Yes, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Can I say this? God came to them. God came to them because he knew what they had done. And the man and the wife hid themselves for the presence of God, the Lord God among, uh, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Second question, the Lord said, who told you that you were naked? Third question, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And then that's where man begins to make excuses. I love what C.H. Spurgeon said about this particular verse, verse number eight, about the Lord God coming to them in the cool of the day. He said this, It was not in the dead of the night when the natural glooms of darkness might have increased because of the terrors of the criminal. It was not in the heat of the day, lest he should imagine that God come in the heat of passion. Not in the early morning as in the haste to slay, but at the close of the day, in the cool of the day, for God is long-suffering, slow to anger, and of great mercy. And God comes to them in the cool of the day to confront them of their sin. And we need to understand that confrontation is not something that's always bad. It can be good depending on the motives. Jesus dealt and confronted the Pharisees because of their error. Twice he drove out the thieves from the temple in the act of righteous confrontation. Paul confronted Peter because of Peter's wrong view of the Gentiles. I love this story where God sent Nathan to David to confront him with his sin with Bathsheba by telling a parable. And at the end of the story, it was Nathan who stuck his bony finger toward David and said, Thou art the man. Because God cared for David enough to confront him about his sin. And we find in our text here this morning that God comes to Adam in the cool of the day. And he simply asks him a question. Where are you? Where are you, Adam? In essence, he's going somewhere and he's going to... Um, walk Adam to to a point where there's going to be confession by Adam. Someone said this, that Adam's conscience drove him behind the trees, but revelation brought him forth in the presence of God. The consciousness of what he was terrified him, but the revelation of, of what God was tranquilized him. See, it's interesting that the Lord is going to confront Adam, and he's going to go where he is, and he really ask him two questions as it said he, he's he's confronting man he asked him where are you where are you adam and really this is going to prove two things number one it's going to prove that adam is lost and wayward and second it proves that god is good in his grace to seek man out and then he asked the second the the, uh, the woman a question in a sense he in a sense what he is saying is it's like what in the world have you done to get her to a point where she will admit her sin, which she does. And then we find out in verses 14 through 19 that not only does God confront us in our sin, but God responds to our sin. He's going to respond to the sin, first of all, to the serpent. Then he's going to respond to the sin with a woman. Then he's going to respond to the, the sin because with a man. Look at the text here. First of all, with a serpent. There's no uh, rhetorical questions here. There's proclamations to the serpent 
the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. The second one is, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. So there's two things here. Number one, he's going to be humbled that he's going to be on his belly. Some people say, uh, did, did snakes have legs and do they walk? That may or may not have been true, but that, that might be a possibility. And number two, as a result of the serpent's sin, there was going to be conflict between the serpent and his seed and the woman and her seed. And I'll, I'll address that here in a moment. So we see that God responds to the serpent. He's not asking for confession from them. He's not leading confession. There's an indictment on the serpent. But then he deals with a woman. He deals with Eve next in verse 16. He says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. What this verse is teaching is that when God made Adam and Eve and, and God brought Eve to Adam and that there was harmony, there was unity, there was blessing, there was love, because of sin, there was going to be, be division between husband and wife. The woman at her worst would be a nemesis to the, the man and the man at his worst would dominate the woman. That There would be friction. There would be not loving to cherish, but there would be a desire to dominate. And we see that even in our world today and folks, can I say this? It doesn't have to be that way. That's the way he pronounces it here in Genesis. But God saves us. God gives us his Holy Spirit. And that there can be harmony by God's grace in our homes. And the, thing, the third thing we see here is that God responds to Adam in verses 17, 18, and 19. He says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Can I stop there? Don't go home and say, listen, Adam got in trouble because he listened to his wife. It was because of what she said, all right? So don't use this verse. You're going to be off in your theology. You're going to be out of your house, all right? Adam said, uh, God said, uh, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of. Cursed it is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of, all, of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So we see here that, number one, man is not cursed, but the ground is cursed. We need to understand that. Work was something that God gave to Adam to do before the fall. But now as a result of sin, that work was going to be different because of man's sin. I believe that this verse teaches about um, disease and drought and floods and hurricanes and winds that blow and bring destruction. But there was going to be a consequence to man's sin. And I want you to see, third of all, that God is good that he gives hope. And he's going to give hope two different ways. And I want you to see that in our text. Number one, he's going to give hope um, by a prophecy in verse number 15. That prophecy in verse 15 is really what is called the first mention of the gospel. And then he's going to give hope by way of what Adam says in verse number 20 about his wife. But first of all, let's look at hope by way of prophecy. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And look at the last phrase. He, 
shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The seed of the woman that's mentioned here in our text is masculine. It's singular in the original. It's not talking about you all. It's one person. Literally, he shall crush your head and you will bruise his heel. The imagery is as if you're out walking in the, the uh, woods and you see a snake and all of a sudden you lift your foot up to, to crush the, the head of that snake and you're bringing that foot down on the, the, the head of the snake to crush it. Before you do that, that snake will bite your heel. But in turn, you're going to come down and you're going to crush its head. And folks, this is the first mention of the gospel because it, it talks about when Christ was on the cross and Christ was put to death and the devil thought he won when, when he was on the cross. But as we sang this morning, death was arrested. <laughs> and that's when my life began, when Christ was, was, he died and he was buried and he rose again because of Christ's victory. That's, that's the, the victory that we see here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. I want you to see another verse in Galatians chapter 4, and it's on the screen. That's very interesting. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Who's his son? That's the question. Who's his son? All right, you all get an A for today, all right? His son, born of a woman. Joseph had nothing to do with Jesus' birth. The seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head, even though the serpent would, in a sense, bite its heel. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption of sons. That's what's going on here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, that we have a hope because of the prophecy of the first mention of the gospel of the foretelling of something that's going to happen. And that's why in the book of Genesis, it talks about generation, 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 generation. Eventually that goes to Joseph, and eventually that generation goes to David, and eventually someone that you and I know come out of, comes out of David, and that's, that's Christ. There's a foreshadowing, a prophecy here. The second thing we see is that there's hope by way of Eve's name. Look in verse number 20. It says, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. You're like, where's this coming from? Why, why is he naming Eve? I mean, there was just a pronouncement of a curse, bad news, death, everything else, and he names his, his wife the mother of all living. Why the mother of all living? She was the one who first partook of the fruit. She was the one who was beguiled. She was the one who gave that fruit to her husband. Shouldn't she be the mother of all dead? But folks, what you see here is that Adam understands what God says, and in that he has faith that, that through his wife she will be the mother of all living. Um, it will be the seed of the woman that brings life. Galatians 4, as we just said. I want you to see next in, in verse number 21 that not only does God do all of this, but we see in verse 20 that God provides for our sin. Adam and Eve had attempted to cover themselves. They, they do their own works of righteousness in a sense. Well, what does it say in verse 21? It says, And the Lord God 
made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. See, they did their best, but their best wasn't enough, that they needed more. They needed a blood sacrifice. God provided the lamb. God provided clothing for them. God provides for us today not our own righteousness, but his righteousness that we have in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, For our sake he made him, Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And we're not clothed in our own righteousness when we stand before God. We have Christ's righteousness, and that's how we are accepted into the Beloved. And last, I want you to see this here, that God demonstrates his mercy even in this particular passage in verses 20 through 24. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim, that would be an angel, and a flaming sword that turned every, every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Folks, even in his judgment on sin, and in the sense of their being removed from the Garden of Eden, God was gracious to say, you're not going back into the Garden of Eden to eat the tree of life because you would be living in a sinful state forever. And even in this, we see God's mercy and his kindness. So I end by asking a number of questions. We understand that sin had to be put away. Can mankind put sin away? Can mankind deal with sin? And the answer is no, because it was because of man that sin entered the world. The serpent's head had to be bruised. Can we do that? No, because we are enslaved to the devil. We're enslaved to the serpent. There needed to be someone else. And death had to be abolished. Once again, can we do that? No, it's because of our own acts that, uh, that death entered the world. And our only hope is in the power and the glorious grace of God that he made a way and that he had a plan. And we rejoice in the gospel this morning. Let's pray together. Heads are bowed. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the truths that we find in our text today. I pray that you would help us to remember how terrible, how evil, how wrong sin is and all of the consequences. And then, Lord, help us to turn our eyes toward heaven and remember and know how good you are. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for changing us. Thank you for giving us a new heart, new desires, a new family, a new relationship with you. And, Lord, help us to go out this week and to remember these truths and live for you. I pray in your name. Amen.